Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the Hemingwayless podcast. We are talking about some poetry. Um, what's his name again? Lord something? It's Folk Grivel Lord Brook. I don't really get this guy's name. I don't even get this guy's name. <laughs> um, why has he got two names? Folk Grivel or Lord Brook? Which one is it? Now, uh, my discussion prompt. Pretty prompt. It is a pretty poem with an ominous vibe, unless I got the vibe check wrong. Swim says the mama fishy says, you are right about the vibe. Here's an excerpt of an analysis of the poem. The poem is printed in the Oxford Book of Verse, is abridged. Okay, so we got the abridged version. The preceding stanzas all lead up to a must-eye from the narrator. The tone of his question is open to interpretation. Is it bewilderment? she really left me or is it rebelliousness am i really going to play this passive and feeble role the final line of the previous stanzas moves us decisively towards the latter interpretation the line is highly compressed vulcan's brothers means men of vulcan's position men who have behaved as vulcan did vulcan the divine smith forged a supremely fine net in which he snared his wife venus and her lover mars in flag granite our version is missing this Vulcan stanza. Surely this seemed a triumph, both insubstantial and painful. At least once love came to be understood in courtly terms. In effect, it's Vulcan who ends up trammeled in his own net. So the narrator appears to draw back from self-flagellation and forbid himself the anguish of a rejected lover, as most people do in due course. In the last stanza, his problem has disappeared. He can stand back and reflect objectively. Yet, would she never write her love to me? The lines that follow sketch a rather complex train of thought. The fourth line means, of course, I never asked her to. And the final line admits that even if Myra had committed herself to writing, it would mean nothing, for what you can write is not substantial. It isn't, for example, a kiss. It's only the word kiss which is just a hollow word once the love itself no longer exists. The last line also reflects back over his own evocation in print, as he anticipated, of that past relationship. His poem, too, cannot reincarnate their past selves. And thus, since the deadness of that love is finally emphatic, the poem ends by accepting irrevocable change. I don't know if it's only a happy accident, but to print a kiss also suggests a prim, perfunctory formality that is applied perhaps to a forehead. Such formal kisses are, of course, often deceptive. They are not real kisses expressing real feeling. Very cool. Thank you for that swim. Terrific says this was really helpful and highly pertinent information. The slightly amatoom tone is explained here, so it makes sense. It's a light bitterness turned into poetry yeah i felt that bitterness um like an almost almost like a sarcasm coming through that poem i liked it swim also says grivel was an interesting guy he was an aristocrat who lived during the reigns of elizabeth one and james one serving both with distinction in a number of posts including secretary of the state to wales he was the latest in a long line of well-connected family members going back hundreds of years he was thoughtful and often gravely serious as a poet and also a writer of sonnets and closet dramas. Plays in verse form that are not intended for the stage, but might be read by an individual or perhaps read out loud in small gatherings. 
He was one of the Queen's favourites, although he occasionally fell out of favour due to his tendency to make trips abroad without gaining royal permission first. He was successful as a parliamentarian. Towards the end of Elizabeth's reign, he was treasurer of the navy and retained this post when James I became king, and as a reward for past services, James granted him the dilapidated Warwick Castle, which, with a considerable amount of money spent on it, became the grand castle that it still is today. Wow, that's cool. His life came to a tragic end in 1628 when he was stabbed while at home by a servant over a financial matter. He was uh, stabbed but survived for four more weeks. Incredibly, the physicians had the idea of putting pig fat into the open wounds and this turned rancid, <laughs> leading to an agonizing death. Wow, good one. Uh, good job, physician. Pig fat into an open wound. His bright idea was that. Silly, silly sausage. I think they just didn't understand things like that back then. Like, who would these days would ever think, oh, I'll stick some pig fat in that? Today's poet is Thomas Lodge, born somewhere around 1556, died 1625. This is Rosalind's Madrigal. Love in my bosom like a bee doth suck his sweet. Now with his wings he plays with me, now with his feet. Within mine eyes he makes his nest, his bed amidst my tender breast. My kisses are his daily feast, and yet he robs me of my rest. Ah, wanton, will ye? And if I sleep, then percheth he with pretty flight, and makes his pillow of my knee. The live-long night strike in I my lute, he tunes the string. He music plays, if so I sing. He lends me every lovely thing, yet cruel he my heart doth sting, whilst wist wanton still yea. Else I, with roses every day, will whip your hen you hence, and bind you when you long to play for your offence. I'll shut mine eyes to keep you in. I'll make you fast if it for your sin. I'll count your power not worth a pin. Alas, what hereby shall I win if he gains a me? What if I beat the wanton boy with many a rod? Will he, he will repay me with annoy because a god? Then sit thou safely on my knee. Then let thy bower my bosom be, lurk in mine eyes, I like of thee, O Cupid, so thou pity me, spare not, but play thee. And this is Phyllis 1. My Phyllis hath the morning sun at first to look upon her, and Phyllis hath morn waking birds, her rising still to honour. My Phyllis hath prime feathered flowers that smile when she treads on them, and Phyllis hath a gallant flock that leaps since she doth own them. But Phyllis hath too hard a heart, alas, that she should have it. It yields no mercy to desert, nor grace to those that crave it. Phyllis Part 2 Love guards the roses of thy lips, and flies about them like a bee. If I approach, he forward skips, and if I kiss, he stingeth me. Love in thine eyes doth build his bower, and sleeps within their pretty shine, and if I look, the boy will lower, and from their orbs shoot shafts divine. Love works thy heart within his fire, and in my tears doth firm the same, and if I attempt it will retire, and of my plaints doth make a game. Love let me cull her choicest flowers, and pity me, and calm her eye, make soft her heart, dissolve her lowers, then will I praise thy deity. 
But if thou do not love, I'll truly serve her, in spite of thee, and by firm faith deserve her. And this last one is called Rosaline. Like to the clear and highest sphere where all imperial glory shines, of self-same colour in her hair, whether unfold or entwined, hi-ho, fair Rosaline, her eyes are sapphires set in snow, resembling heaven by every wink the gods do fear, wherein as they glow and do I tremble when I think, hi-ho, would she were mine. Her cheeks are like the blushing cloud that beautifies Aurora's face, or like the silver crimson shroud that favours smiles, looks doth grace. Hi-ho, fair Rosaline, her lips are like two budded roses, whom ranks of lilies neighbour nigh, within whose bounds she balm encloses, apt to entice a deity, hi-ho, would she were mine. Her neck like to a stately tower where love himself imprisoned lies to watch for glances every hour from her divine and sacred eyes. Hi-ho, fair Rosaline. Her paps are scented of delight, her breasts are orbs of heavenly frame, where nature moulds the dew of light to feed perfection with the same. Hi-ho, would she were mine, with orient pearl, with ruby red, with marble white, with sapphire blue, her body every way is fed, yet soft to touch and sweet in view. Hi-ho, fair Rosaline. Nature herself her shape admires, the gods are wounded in her sight, and love forsakes his heavenly fires, and at her eyes his brand doth light. Hi-ho, would she were mine. Then muse not, nymphs, though I bemoan the absence of fair Rosaline, since for a fair there's a fairer none nor for her virtues so divine. Hi-ho, fair Rosaline. Hi-ho, my heart, would God that she were mine. Ah, Rosaline, Rosaline. If I would that she were mine. All right, folks, that's today's poems. See you tomorrow.